Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams and today we're going back to Sunday, the 17th of September, 1944. That was the day that Australia's most famous war cameraman and the man whose film won this country its first Oscar was killed while filming US Marines trying to retake the island of Peleliu from the Japanese. Damien Perra was born on the 1st of August, 1912 in the Melbourne suburb of Malvern. He was the youngest of eight children in a big Catholic family and he spent much of his childhood on King Island in Bass Strait where his father ran a hotel. When he went to school, he boarded in Portland. When the family moved to New South Wales, Damien boarded at another Catholic college at Bathurst. It was here when he was 14 years old that he stumbled upon a copy of the magazine Australian Photographic Review. Young Damien fell in love with the cameras pictured and described in its pages and he saved his pocket money bought a how-to book and decided he was going to have a career as a photographer. Damien finished school shortly after the family moved back to Melbourne and he had his first success when he won an amateur Argus newspaper photo competition and used the prize money to upgrade to a better camera. Around this time Damien also saved to buy a second-hand 16mm film camera thinking he might also break into the movies. Damien shot a film about hiking, hoping to sell it to Victoria Railways, who were then promoting the activity as a way to increase patronage on their trains. But they didn't buy it. And for a few years there, Damien couldn't get a job as a photographer or even an apprenticeship. It wasn't until 1930 that he began a four-year apprenticeship with a Melbourne photographer. His next big break came in mid-1934 when he got a job as a camera assistant with Charles Chevelle, who was then filming his Australian history epic Heritage at a new studio in St Kilda. Side note, I've dealt with the making of this film extensively in my book Australia's Sweetheart about teen actress Mary Maguire, who was the star of Heritage. Now Damien was learning by watching two of Australia's best cinematographers, brothers Tasman and Arthur Higgins, who, with their other brother Ernest, had been pretty much shooting all of Australia's major films since 1908. A year after Heritage, Damien got another job with Charles Chevelle, then making a film called Uncivilised at the brand spanking new National Studios at Pagewood in Sydney. Damien would still be there in early 1936 when he got another job helping out on the camera on a film called The Flying Doctor, directed by English film pioneer Miles Mander and again starring Mary Maguire. He graduated to co-cinematographer with Errol Hines on another feature called Wrangle River and this time Damien saw himself praised by name in the Sydney Morning Herald's review of the movie for his brilliant camera work. In 1938, he got another job with Charles Chevelle as one of five cameramen, the others including Frank Hurley and Tasman Higgins, when they shot a massive reenactment of the famous charge at Beersheba for the epic 40,000 horsemen. The Australian film industry wasn't large enough to sustain permanent employment, but Damien struck it lucky in 1938 when he got a job as a photographer with Sydney's Max Dupain. 
That same year, he was also cinematographer on an 11-minute short called This Place Australia, which depicted the poems of Henry Lawson and Banjo Patterson, with the movie's imagery praised by reviewers. After nearly a decade of training and slow but steady career advancement, Damien in 1939 was appointed to the cinema and photographic branch of the Federal Commerce Department. Just before the Second World War came, he got another government job, this one making army training films at the St Kilda Barracks. But very soon, he'd be doing more than filming Practice for War. In late 1939, Damien Perra was appointed official movie photographer for the AIF. His first taste of enemy action came when he filmed from a gunship as Australian and British forces attacked the Italian port of Bardia. His next encounter in battle was at the Derna airstrip where Australians faced strong resistance from a large force of Italians. It was here that he reportedly came to the realisation that the best pictures would be those that showed soldiers' faces and expressions. After Italy, Damien saw action in Greece, Syria, Tobruk and the Western Desert. Back home, if you saw newsreel footage of Australian troops abroad, it was almost certainly from his camera. Melbourne's Catholic newspaper, The Advocate, was immensely proud. Quote, The camera art of Damien Perra reveals a striking maturity and simplicity, combined with an intangible note of mysticism. Damien Perra is in the tradition of Henry Lawson and the Australian poets. His camera is his pen, his film, his paper. The Advocate proudly claimed him as a, quote, Catholic photographer, and this was actually true. He was devout and would say he didn't fear being killed in action because he was in God's grace. After the Japanese entered the war, Damien made his way to New Guinea with fellow Australian journalists Osmar White and Chester Wilmot, and they joined the AIF, who were taking over from militia units and trying to halt the Japanese on the Kokoda track. It was here that Damien Perra captured his most famous footage. Strictly speaking, Damien Perra wasn't a newsreel cameraman. He was employed by the Department of Information, which then made his footage available to both of Australia's newsreel companies, CineSound Review and Fox Movie Tone. It was CineSound's boss, director Ken Hall, another of Damien's mentors, who shaped the footage from the Kokoda track into the nine-minute newsreel entitled Kokoda Frontline. Smartly, Ken Hall stamped the footage as cine sounds by getting Damien Perra in front of the camera to introduce the film while in uniform. Eight days ago, I was with our advanced troops in the jungle facing the Japs at Kokoda. It's an uncanny sort of warfare. You never see a Jap even though he's only 20 yards away. They're complete masters of camouflage and deception. I should say about 40% of our boys wounded in those engagements haven't seen a Japanese soldier, a live one anyway. While Damien Perra's name was already known, this turned him into a celebrity. It also brought home the reality of what Australian soldiers were facing in New Guinea. As a frontline cameraman, Damien Perra was also sometimes the story, as in a big interview in Sydney's The Sun newspaper in September 1942. This was just after Kokoda Frontline had started playing, and the article detailed how he'd repeatedly risked his life to get the amazing footage. In a November 1942 issue of ABC Weekly magazine, Damien Perra's friend and fellow war correspondent Chester Wilmot described the impact of the Kokoda footage. Quote, I believe Perra's film did more to waken his fellow Australians than any single event which has happened in the last six months. 
By then, Damien wasn't frontline, but behind the lines, this time in Japanese-held Timor, where he got the first images of Australian commandos fighting a desperate guerrilla war. Six months later, Damien Perra was aboard an Australian bowfighter taking on Japanese transports in the massive Battle of the Bismarck Sea, capturing the action as the plane came into attack at mast height. Even 75 years later, this footage is still hair-raising. The Battle of the Bismarck Sea lasted from the 2nd of March until the 4th of March 1943. On the same day it ended, on the eastern side of the Pacific, in Hollywood, California, at the 15th Annual Academy Awards, Kokoda Frontline took home Australia's first Oscar. But the award didn't belong to Damien Perra. Instead, it went to Ken Hall as CineSound's producer. Neither man could be there, so it was accepted by Australian screenwriter and director John Farrow, father of Mia Farrow, whose life and times we'll explore in another episode of Australia on this day. The Kokoda Frontline Oscar, which was made of plaster and painted gold because of wartime material shortages, was inscribed thus. For its effectiveness in portraying, simply yet forcefully, the scene of war in New Guinea and for its moving presentation of the bravery and fortitude of our Australian comrades-in-arms. As valuable as Damien Perra's films were as information and as propaganda, Australia's Department of Information got on his wrong side. In 1943, when he was back in New Guinea, Damien submitted his letter of resignation, going public in newspapers to say that he wasn't even being given an adequate living allowance. Around this time, the department also lost the services of several other respected war reporters and cameramen. Damien Perra's resignation didn't take effect before he'd filmed footage for one last tribute to the Australian fighting man. Ken Hall shaped it into a newsreel titled Assault on Salamoa, and this nine-minute film included the iconic shot of a wounded and blinded digger being assisted across a stream by a mate. From October 1943, Damien Perra worked for America's Paramount News. While Australian audiences would still see his footage, it'd now be usually of American soldiers in the Pacific, and he wouldn't be featured on camera as he had been in his cine sound reels. Though he was less high profile, Damien was still enough of a celebrity that when he married Marie Cotter in Sydney in March 1944, the Australian Women's Weekly ran a story of their romance that took up two-thirds of a page. Marie was soon pregnant, but Damien was back in action with the Americans. In August 1944, he was in the thick of hellish fighting on Guam. On the 7th of that month, Dennis Warner, the combat reporter who we met in the 6th of July episode about the first Australian soldier killed in action in Vietnam, wrote a little story about Damien that made the front page of The Sun in Sydney. I really wonder about writing this article and giving it the headline it got. Dennis Warner's report came from Guam and was headlined, Japs Can't Hit Him. It began... Ace Australian newsreel cameraman Damien Perra has earned a reputation among Marines here as a sort of legendary figure bullets can't reach. Four Marine cameramen have been killed during fighting here, but none took the risks Perra did to obtain what he calls the best action pictures I've taken in this war. Five weeks later, on the morning of the 15th of September 1944, Damien Perra and a bulletin reporter named John Brennan came ashore with Marines on Peleliu, a tiny island about 550 miles east of the Philippines. 
Here, the fighting was even fiercer than on Guam, with Japanese deeply dug into a hellish landscape and determined to die for the emperor. The crossfire was so thick that for the first 48 hours, Damien Perra and John Brennan kept their heads down in a foxhole. Then, on the afternoon of Sunday the 17th, Damien saw an opportunity to get good footage. Around 3.15pm, he was walking backwards behind a tank, filming the advance of Marines, when machine gun fire from a Japanese pillbox cut him down and killed him instantly. Disgracefully, when his mate John Brennan finally found his fallen colleague's body, it was clear it had been ransacked by the Marines, who'd even broken open his camera and stolen the film. But they'd missed one reel, which was in Damien's pocket, and this would be processed and used in American newsreels. Damien Perra was just 32 years old when he was killed. He left behind his wife of six months, and she'd have their son the following February. This boy was named Damien Perra Jr., and he'd also work in the Australian film industry. After initially being buried on Peleliu, Damien Perra's remains were eventually moved to the Ambon War Cemetery off Indonesia. As for the Oscar, in Ken Hall's Personal History of Cinema Down Under, the 1993 book, Australian film, The Inside Story, he said he believed the award rightfully belonged to Damien Perra, and he would have given it to him if he'd survived the war. These days, the Oscar belongs to all of us, held at the National Film and Sound Archive in Canberra. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Just a note before I go, like many Australian podcasters, my shows are labours of love, mostly supported by money I earn from other work. For the next couple of months, I'll be juggling Australia on this day and Forgotten Australia with a full-time day job, so I'm going to do my best to keep producing episodes as often as I can. Thanks for your patience and for listening, and if you've got a moment and you'd like to help Australia on this day reach more people, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes. Catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.